see here. Fascinating article in the Athletic. All right. So I subscribe to the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, the Athletic, Apple's News, Apple News Plus. All right. I do that for you to give you the latest and greatest. All right. So here in the Athletic. All right. How have the Tennessee Titans outperformed oddsmakers' preseason expectations every year under head coach Mike Vrabel? And you're saying to me, 40, how do the Titans do it? And I'm here to tell you that they are New England 2.0, right? They are the NFL's fifth best record since Mike Vrabel became head coach in 2018. So... Some coaches call the plays not Mike Vrabel. He coaches the entire team. He focuses on gaining competitive edges in critical moments. So do you want to win? Right? Everyone wants to win, but how far are you willing to go to win? Are you willing to push the rules, even to go past the rules? For example, in trials, plaintiff attorneys, right, they usually get paid a percentage of a win and so they tend to be much more adventurous. They tend to push the rules much more. Right? They're not nearly as staid and conservative in their approach as defense attorneys. So, Tennessee Titans. Remember they defeated New England in the playoffs in Tom Brady's final game with the Patriots in 2019? Okay, so Tennessee was leading 14-13 with 6.39 remaining. And they incurred intentional penalties to drain the clock to 4.44 without running a play. Right, so the NFL had to close a loophole after this. Tennessee has won other games after taking intentional penalties while seeking competitive advantages. So the Titans, more than any other team, are known for being better than others at laying on top of offensive players during two-minute situations when the Titans are on defense to slow them down and for also incurring well-timed injuries to defensive players, which opponents see as buying time for defenders to regroup, which is exactly what it is. So the Titans push, push the limits of the rules, and that's why they win. Right, so it's not like the Tennessee Titans are known for analytics, but they're known for difference-making plays in crucial situations. So, under Mike Vrabel, the Tennessee Titans have led the league in opponents' false starts. Why is that? Why have the Titans drawn more of their opponents into false starts? More of them on field goals, more of them on extra points, more of them on fourth and one. Right? More of them when opponents are on the fringes of field goal range, more of them inside their own 10-yard line. Right? Why are they so good at drawing false starts when the game is on the line? Right? When it matters most, because... The Tennessee Titans defensive linemen are known for moving subtly or not so subtly, which is illegal, right, for defensive linemen to move in a way that uh, leads the offensive players to making a false start. So the name of this is stemming, right? That's to draw offensive movement in critical moments. So you've got a nose tackle that aligns in a sense with one knee on the ground, then as the snap nears, he raises the knee off the ground. That often triggers movement from the offense. But the nose tackle shifts abruptly with similar results. 
The, the Titans are far better than anyone else in the league in doing this. All right, their defensive linemen use aggressive waves. You know, they, 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 they use arm waves. They use, you know, all different sort of subtle movements to draw the offense offside. And uh, coming at at you right now from the Botanical Gardens, the Royal Botanical Gardens here in Sydney. So, not very good sportsmanship, but it's helping them win games. So, Tennessee, like New England, also realizes that defensive hoarding is really called right, on defensive linemen. So, Tennessee's defensive linemen do a great job hoarding offensive linemen, hold them, to maximize the penetration from their pass rush stunts. All right, the, the Tennessee Titans defensive players also mimic opposing quarterbacks' cadences. Right, every little thing you can think of to get an advantage, they have. You know, they, they work the officials. They grasp the rules. They maximize advantages within the rules. Then they also play basic fundamental football, they run the ball well, they stop the run, they maximize pass efficiency through the use of play action. So it's not that they have a ton of talent, right? They're just physical, rough, tough players who push the limits of the law. So they have a heavy run game, great play action, and uh, their defensive backfield, all right, there's a lot of illegal contact and defensive holding. So what's the temperature there? It's 70 degrees right now. So 20 degrees Celsius, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So New England Patriots also do this. They, they just hold and hold and hold. That's how they able to slow down. Peyton Manning, all right, because officials just get tired of calling pass interference. And so the Pittsburgh Steelers did this against the Dallas Cowboys. So when Dallas Cowboys played the Pittsburgh Steelers in two Super Bowls, Tom Landry told that the Cowboys don't get into fights with, with the Steelers because the Steelers are bigger and tougher and rougher than you are. Right? The Cowboys in the 70s under Landry were a finesse team. The Steelers were a brawny team built you know, with, with extra steroids. So you'd look at the Steelers' offensive line and they were just incredibly cut. Like their, their physique was just unbelievable. While for the Cowboys' offensive line, their stomachs would just be you know, hanging out over the, their gut because the Steelers were on many more steroids. So Cowboys relied on trickery. And the Steelers reacted by just belting the hell out of the Cowboys receivers, just like breaking their ribs, you know, figuring that the officials would just get tired of calling defensive pass interference. And though the Cowboys played them very tight in both Super Bowls in the 1970s, the, the Steelers, you know, ended up winning and in large part because they just beat the hell out of the Cowboys receivers, knocking them out of the game, breaking their ribs. Right? They, they didn't keep within the law. The Pittsburgh Steelers led the way in the illegal use of steroids in the 1970s. And so that's how they were able to win four Super Bowls. 
right? Because they bent the law, broke the law, took the steroids, uh, played dirty, uh, belted the hell out of their opponents, uh, broke ribs, knocked people out of games. And uh, it's a lot like Tennessee Titans football, a lot like New England's Patriots football. So yeah, it's a beautiful day here at the Royal Botanical Gardens. It's so nice being able to walk all over Sydney and uh, I've never once felt fear in Sydney. I've never felt concern. So my mind is not occupied by you know, things like that, fear, concern, worry, you know, keeping an eye out for super predators. Right? So instead my mind can roam free so to bring you know, more and more of these amazing insights to my live streams. So I'm not preoccupied by super predators and criminals and dangerous situations, trying to steer away from unsavory characters. And it's not like New York City or Washington DC or LA or San Francisco. It's just, imagine all the people you know, living life in peace. I know you say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Perhaps one day you'll join us and the world will live as one. So this is right next to the Central Business District, right? You got the CBD just behind these trees at half a mile away, the Central Business District of, of Sydney. I've got the, uh, the Opera House is, is that way, about half a mile. All right, concentrated Sydney is just to my left. What is the size of Sydney compared to New York City? So there are about six million people who live in greater Sydney, but I don't think it's as concentrated with people as New York City. Los Angeles is actually more concentrated than, than New York. And so you don't have 10 people you know, living in an apartment here, like in Los Angeles and New York. So you have a lot of people, but there's so many parks. There's so much space. And our cathedrals, right, beautiful cathedrals, right, beautiful churches, but the real Aussie cathedrals are our beaches. Now, beaches are magnificent. And then everywhere you go, there are these great big beautiful well-tended parks just don't see any trash lots of public toilets no trash no, very little graffiti you know, just see the occasional bum lying on a bench but they're not causing any disruption it's just a peaceful easy feeling Sydney I know you won't let me down yeah, no migrants hiding in women's restrooms, you know, waiting to assault people. <laughs> no, you don't have that in Sydney, right? This is the lucky country, right? The hobos, right? They don't cause problems here. Not that I've seen yet. And he had one person ask me for money. And it was a very gentle ask. Oh, I'm riding public transport all around Sydney. Yeah, riding light rail, buses, or the ferry. And on average, it's costing me 67 American cents a day. I ride the light rail down to Circular Quay. And then I take those ferries 
Clement and Manley, and ride the ferry back and take the light rail back. And at the end of the day, I am out one Australian dollar, right? 67 American cents. So are there gang members in Sydney? Yeah. Uh, there are the Lebos, the, the Lebanese, right? Lebanese and some Afghans, I think they tend to dominate the, the drug trafficking, but there's no legal marijuana. And I'm sure there are people doing illegal drugs here, but you know, I see very little sign of it. And I haven't smelt that, that sickly sweet smell of marijuana since I've been in Australia. And that's, that's a giant relief. So I walk, I walk through you know, the busiest streets in Sydney and yeah, I see some you know, bad hombres, right? I see some tough looking dudes, right? Who I would not want to have a run in with, but uh, not bothering civilians. Right? To the extent there's organized crime, Sydney, they rarely bother civilians. Now, there's a lot of entrepreneurship and moderate amount of financial scams in Sydney. Right? They're, they're you know, very likely to be introduced to you by an acquaintance. Uh, but people, by and large, are breaking into your home. They're not holding you up. Right? They're not sticking a knife in your ribs. They're not shooting you. I hear police helicopters, but they're always monitoring, <clears throat> they're monitoring the oceans. Like anyone getting caught in a riptide, something like that. So you'll see signs of the oceans warning about dangerous currents. But uh, almost never hear sirens. I had this very little sense of, of panic. So, open question for the chat. Why is this Colorado shooting getting so much attention, the shooting in Colorado Springs? So, I remember a few months ago, 50 migrants boiled to death, right? And that wasn't a top story in the New York Times for five minutes. And it's been 48 hours now since the Colorado Springs LGBTQ shooting, and it's still dominating the news. Is it because we've got a sacred group? And so their suffering is more important than everyone else's. And because the media wants to dispel you know, false stereotypes about the LGBTQ crowd. So he saved a lot of lives. Combat veteran tackled Colorado gunman. Oh yeah, because a, a gun was involved, it can be blamed on MAGA. So the quick actions of retired army major and a drag performer in high heels, guys, took down the gunman before he reached a crowded patio. So thank God for drag queens in high heels, man. So this guy, Anderson Lee Aldrich, 22, He's been booked on suspicion of murder and bias-motivated crime. So we don't know why he did it. Right, we know this guy's a nutter. But the entire media focus for the last 48 hours was, oh my God, was this a hate crime? This is a bias-motivated crime. God forbid that it should be a bias-motivated crime. I know in, in America we've had various serial killers who have assured us that uh, they're not racist. Right? They, they killed a lot of people, but they're not racist. Yeah. 
what's going on in Idaho, right? That, that's kind of disturbing. Right, we have this Idaho College Party House murders. About five people were stabbed to death and absolutely no idea who did it. That's a frightening situation. Okay, so 70% of active shooter situations end before the police act. Right, the police usually just arrive and quote-unquote secure the perimeter. Four college kids out of six slaughtered at 4 a.m. Yeah, I want to know what's going on there, but they were knifed to death, so that makes you think it was something personal. So the police usually don't stop active shooters. Right, the police, as we saw at that horrible Texas school shooting, they fumble and bumble around for an hour or so, establishing the perimeter. So in this case, we had a drag performer stomped on the gunman with high heels. Thank God for those drag queens in high heels, man. They're saving us. They're keeping America safe. And uh, let's, let's never forget these victims of the LGBTQ club, like these gay transgendered individuals who suffered because of American homophobia. So this is a well-known LGBTQ bar that only in recent decades has emerged from a long history of hostility toward LGBTQ communities. And that's never because they did anything wrong. Like, it's not because of AIDS, monkeypox, transmission of nasty sexually transmitted diseases. It's not because of impurities in the blood supply and thousands of innocent people dying of, of AIDS because they got a tainted blood transfusion. It's not because of anything the LGBTQ community has done wrong. They've just been hated for absolutely no reason whatsoever. But maybe if the media can just uh, bang on about how brave these people were at this club and how the, the drag queen stomped on the shooter with her high heels, I think if we just get 175 more articles like that, we can finally overcome America's very sad, long history of homophobia.